Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, this weekend we are kicking off a new series entitled 40 Days. And it's kind of interesting how this has all taken place. We had been preparing 40days.com for months before the quarantine and, and social distancing and the virus really kicked in. Uh, we, we had been working on this for a while, uh, and I, I don't have the time to really go through everything that comes with it, but we've been building what's called an LMS, a learning management system for the web that we could teach, we could disciple in various formats, uh, people all over the world through what God has asked us to do. And, and 40days.com is one of those things. And so we jumped on it as this kind of kicked off. We did a, a kind of six pillar 40 day journey together. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to offer uh, more options, more 40 day journeys with various focuses. I'm presently writing a 40 day journey on marriage. So if you and your spouse want to go through a 40 day marriage journey, Brad's working on a, a 40 day journey to really understand and discover your identity in Christ. And the rest of the staff, they're working on different 40 day journeys as well. And here's why, because we feel called to make disciples. We're going to talk about that in this message. But here's what you really need to know about 40 days. 40 days is a really important number in scripture. You're going to see in this series, every week is going to be about what God did in scripture and can do today in our lives if we just give him 40 days. And here's the burden I felt like the Lord gave me for 40 days. Anything can happen when you give God 40 days. Anything can happen. I think it's interesting. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 1. I really don't want to preach to you today. I really want to just have a family talk. I want to have a family meeting because this, this what I'm going to share with you, is what I really sense God is saying to us right now. All right? And so I'm not going to preach at you. We just need to talk. We need to, since we haven't been around each other, we need to make sure we're still on the same page as a church with the calling that God has given us and the responsibilities that go with it. Acts chapter 1, you're going to see in just a minute, this leads up to the ascension of Jesus. But I want to I read it to you, and then I want to show you something maybe you've never seen before, right? Acts chapter 1, let's start in verse 1, reading it together. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now listen to verse 3. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. During the 40 days, okay, between the resurrection and the ascension, 40 days. Isn't it interesting that apparently 40 days is so important that Christ's ministry on the earth kicked off 
with 40 days in the wilderness and finishes with 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. You're going to see all throughout Scripture, there, there is a lot that God does in 40 days. And I, I just want to show you a couple of things that go down. I'm not going to point out all of the appearances of Jesus because remember, there's a lot that went down in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus appeared to many during that time. And, and the question before he started appearing to people was really this. What do we do now? What do we do now? We thought it was going to go one way. It didn't go that way. What do we do now? And Jesus spends the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension preparing his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The title of this message is 40 Days to Prepare for New Normal. 40 Days to Prepare for New Normal. Right now, in our day, we're hearing that phrase a lot. That we're going to experience a new normal. There's going to be a new normal on the other side of this. And I agree with that. I believe there is a new normal on the earth, a new normal economically, a new normal in the church, a new normal in our lives. Jesus, one of the questions I think it's important to ask is, why didn't Jesus just go straight to the Father after the resurrection? It's a great question. And here's what I think the answer to that question is. Because Jesus needed to finish preparing his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he did that during those 40 days. So let's jump into the first thing that we see what Jesus do. But remember, this message is really about what I sense God is saying to our church right now in this 40-day season of time. Here's point number one. Here's what I feel like Jesus is saying to us as a church. Fish my way. Fish my way. John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said, some of the other disciples and others. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, Jesus called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then Jesus said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Okay, there, there's so much in this passage of scripture right here, but I, I just sense the Lord kind of highlighting two things for us and our church in the season out of this story. Here's the first one. Use nets, not poles. One of the things God is saying to us as a church right now is this is a season of time. I want you using nets to reach the lost, not poles. If you fish with a pole, the best you can do is catch a big fish. When you fish with a net, you can catch the whole school. And I'm going to make a statement that is going to sound a little crazy, all right, and, and probably sound naive to you. And I'm, I, I really just, I don't care how anybody would take this statement because it's just my heart before the Lord. Here's what I, I want to tell you as it relates to switching from fishing with poles to fishing with nets. We 
are prepping our nets as a church for a worldwide harvest. We are prepping our nets for a worldwide harvest. If you're asking right now, what, what is our church doing right now? I don't have the time to tell you all the things we're doing. We are prepping our nets for a worldwide harvest. Maybe some of you have seen that our church owns the domain name churchonline.com. I don't know if you know this, but the two of the most used words in the church world right now are church online. But I've never really taken the time to tell the story of how we became the owners of churchonline.com and some of the things that have happened over the years. Seven years ago, when Brad and I first hooked up uh, and E3 Church, the church he and Noel had been pastoring for nearly a decade, uh, joined our church, we bought churchonline.com. And God gave us a burden for it. And we paid a, a lot of money. At the time, it was an incredible amount of money. It was $12,000, I'll just tell you. Some of you might think, you idiots, you paid $12,000 for a domain? Um, and we didn't really even have the money. We paid it off $1,000 a month for 12 months. Over the last seven years, we've been offered hundreds of thousands of dollars for that domain, and we've never sold it. And here's why. Because God told us to buy it. Now, we get asked, what are you guys going to do with churchonline.com? And here's my answer right now. I don't know. I don't know, because God hasn't said yet. I just know seven years before all this stuff started going down where everybody was reaching for church online, God spoke to us. And so we were obedient and, and we've just been holding on to it until God told us what to do next with it. That's one of the ways. We believe churchonline.com, 40days.com, we own lifegroups.com. We're seeing on the earth today that one of the things, one of the tools God is using to reach people in this day is the internet. And it is one of the fastest ways to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. As a church, we are prepping our nets for a worldwide harvest. Now, one of the groups that tried to buy churchonline.com from us was one of the biggest churches in the country years ago. And we didn't sell it. And I remember kind of saying to the Lord, what in the world makes us think they could do so much more with it than us? What makes us think we should keep it? And here's what I felt like the Lord said, because I told you, because I said. That's why you have it. And that's why you've kept it, because I said. And I'll tell you what to do with it when it's time. And here's where I am today as it relates to even saying in faith we're prepping our nets for a worldwide harvest, not just a valley-wide or city-wide harvest. Here's where I'm at today. Instead of saying, why us? You know what we need to be saying? We must. We must. I don't want to say, what makes us think we could be used by God? I don't want to think like that anymore. I, I just want to say this, we must. Why us? Because we, not just we, we. Because the church of God must. We must must fish with nets, not with poles. There are too many fish to catch. Then the other thing I felt like the Lord just highlighted in this is he's saying it to us, fish where I tell you to fish. 
Fish where I tell you to fish. And we're going to do it. Wherever that leads, I want you to know, whether it's a campus, whether it's a new ministry, whether it's a new website, no matter what, if Jesus says to us, fish over there, I want you to know, as the pastor of this church, I am going to fish wherever Jesus says. And here's why. Because Jesus proved in Luke 5 and also in what we just read, Jesus proved two things. He knows where all the fish are and he knows the best way to catch them. So whenever he says, fish there, as a church, we are going to immediately cast our nets there. That brings us to point number two. The second thing I feel like God is saying to us, using some of what Jesus did in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension as kind of an example. Point number two, don't you dare discourage doubters. Don't you dare discourage doubters. John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the 12 apostles, disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Incidentally, one of the benefits of a glorified body. He just appeared and disappeared all the time. Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hands into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, Thomas. Believe. And listen to what Thomas says in response. My Lord and my God. Okay, we make Thomas out to be kind of the bad guy because he's the doubter. Jesus does not punish Thomas for doubting. Jesus invites him to believe. Believe, it's me. I've risen from the dead, Thomas. Check it out. Here's what we need to remember. Everyone is a doubter before they believe. Everyone is a doubter before they believe. So why would we ever discourage doubters in the house of the Lord? We shouldn't. But, but there's really a reason because some believers are uncomfortable around doubters. And here's the reason why. Because doubters ask questions many believers don't know how to answer. And they make statements many believers don't know how to respond to. This is why so many believers, they just get uncomfortable around doubters. Jesus was not uncomfortable with Thomas or his doubt. What's interesting that, that I, I, I think is just so spectacular that Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't answer him. He shows him. Let me say it this way. The way Jesus overcame Thomas' doubt was to show him something rather than to tell him something. Last week in the Easter message, you saw one of my friends read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, my friend Pat, and one of my best friends. And if you've been at this church for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about him fairly regularly. 
And every once in a while, I get asked why. why. Why do you talk about Pat? Well, let me say this. Do you think the only reason I talk about Pat and what Jesus did in his life is because he's the only person I've ever seen come to Christ? Absolutely not. I'll tell you exactly why I talk about my friend Pat so much, not just on the stage, but I talk about him all the time in my everyday life, especially with people that don't know Jesus yet. Here's why. Because Pat is a Lazarus. I want you to think about this. For the doubters in Jesus' day who would follow him around and go, are you really the Messiah? Are you really Yeshua Hamashiach? Really? Are you really the Messiah? Once Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says that Lazarus would sit at the table with Jesus. And I just wonder if there are ever moments where doubters were at the table with Jesus and someone would say, hey, Yeshua, are you really Hamashiach? Are you really the Messiah? And I just wonder if there was ever a moment where a little bit sarcastically, Jesus would just look at the end of the table and go, hey, Lazarus, what's going on, my man? How you doing down there? And I wonder if Lazarus would say something like this, alive and kicking, Jesus, alive and kicking. Listen, Lazarus was a walking advertisement for the power of God. And every time people saw a risen Lazarus, it pointed to the fact that Jesus was and is the son of God. Okay, listen. I use the same thing all the time with my friend Pat. I just point and say, there is someone who many of the people in this city who don't know Jesus looked at him and thought, if there's anybody God can't reach, that's him. And yet his life has been radically turned around because he's fallen in love with Jesus. I don't even have the time to tell you how much different his life is. Why? Because Jesus raised him from a dead life and gave him new life. He was a doubter. My friend Pat was one of the biggest doubters. And now he's one of the biggest believers I know. Everyone is a doubter before they become a believer. And I really feel the Lord saying to us, we need to make more room for the doubters. We need to be comfortable with their questions and their statements, even when they disagree with what we believe or what we know to be true. And I really, one of the things I felt strongly the Lord say is, if you'll make room at the table for doubters, I will remove all doubt that this is me. And so we're going to do it. We're going to try and reach doubters all over our city. Do you understand? You have people up and down your street in your neighborhood or up and down your hallway at the apartment complex who are doubters. And they just need somebody to make room for them to be able to ask some of the questions they want to ask. They're not bad people. They're just looking for the truth. And sometimes a doubter is opposed to the truth before they find it. And as believers, we need to be okay and not feel threatened when doubters are in the room. God does something miraculous in the life of Thomas by having Jesus show up in the room. And Jesus doesn't come to condemn him, to beat up on him. He just says, hey, 
Check it out. I'm going to show you something. Listen, if you don't feel like you have the answers to a doubter's question, we all need to have a good understanding of apologetics to be able to defend our faith. But even if you don't always have the answers or the rebuttals to a doubter, you know what's more powerful? Show them. Show them your life, the before and after. The before and after. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And the thing in between is Jesus. The reason I'm not lost anymore. The reason I'm not dead anymore. The reason I'm not where I was. Jesus. Show him. Here's the third thing, and we'll wrap up. And this is a biggie. I think this is for a lot of us in our church. Point number three, don't let the old keep a hold. Don't let the old keep a hold. If you got your Bible, flip over to Mark chapter 16. We're just going to read one verse. And it's so powerful. And I just want to really key in on this because I, this was the strong one of the three that I felt. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 says this. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary from Magdala. Mary Magdalene. The woman from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Can you, can you even catch this verse? The first person the risen Savior appears to is not the devoted doctors of theology amongst the Pharisee and Sadducee camps. It's a woman he had cast demons out of. She was at the tomb, weeping, weeping. Can you see this? The first person that Jesus appears to in his resurrected body is a woman he had cast demons out of. The statement Jesus is making there, this is what I do. I will use anyone who yields their life themselves to me. Listen, some of us know God has called us to step up in this season, to be a, a brighter light than we've ever been in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. And yet we disqualify ourselves because of some of the things that happened in our past. Can I just ask you a question? Did, did Jesus have to cast out demons in you? You might be going, yeah, a few. Okay, okay, point, point taken. But probably not as bad as this. And she's the first one Jesus appears to. If you're stuck on what you've done, you'll miss out on what Jesus wants to do through you. I'll use me as an example. I used to be a really big liar. I mean, big time. When I was a kid, I, I just lied all the time. And I kind of became known as a liar. My parents and my brothers and teachers, I, I just lied a ton. And as I started to get older and I started to understand the call of God on my life, one of the voices I would hear most frequently would talk like this. 
How could the God of the universe use a liar to share the truth? And I mean, I would get hammered. How could God use a liar to share the truth? And he used to beat me up and I I would let the enemy beat me up with that thought, which was untrue. But as I got older, you know how I started to respond to it? I don't know. I don't know how God would ever choose to use a liar to share the truth. I also don't know how God parted the waters of the Red Sea so the nation of Israel could walk safely across and then drown their enemies in that same body of water. I also don't know how God kept a man alive in the belly of a whale for three days. I don't know a lot and understand a lot about how God does what he does. But this I know, God can do anything. God can take someone who used to struggle with lying and set them up with new life to share the truth of the gospel all over the world. I don't have time to entertain old conversations with the enemy about what I was. Here's why. Satan uses old conversations to get in the way of new new conversions. Old conversations get in the way of new conversions. I don't have time to talk about the old junk that I'm guilty of. I don't. I'm going to walk in newness of life and you need to too. I want to be like Mary from Magdala. Can you imagine if she was so stuck in the junk that she had done in her past that she stayed at home that day because she was focused on her mess? What she would have missed out on being at the tomb. Here's the one liner I felt like the Lord gave me that was just so nasty. Mary wasn't focused on the junk she used to be stuck in. She was fixated on the tomb Jesus was no longer in. (laughs) Come on. That's the life I want to live. I want to live focused on an empty tomb, on new life in Christ, not on old life under the power of sin and darkness. And yet many of us are being held back right now from stepping into the call of God on your life because of some stuff in your past the enemy won't let you forget. Here's what I feel like the Lord's saying to you and to me. In this season of time, don't let the old have a hold on you. There is too much work for you to do for God to do through you on this earth in this time for you to be tripped up by old conversations with your enemy. If you got a Bible, I want you to go back to Acts 1. I just want to read three more verses and we're going to be done. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 begins to tell what happens when Jesus ascends to the Father at the end of this 40-day period. The Bible says this in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and the disciples could no longer see him. 
As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return in the same way you saw him go. Here's what I love about the first words spoken by these two individuals, many believe Moses and Elijah, these two robed individuals. I love what they say to the disciples. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here? Staring into heaven? Here's the implication. Why are you standing here staring when there's so much work to do between now and the time Jesus comes back the same way you saw him just leave? And here's my prayer for us as a church, that we would sense the God of the universe looking our church in the eyes saying, now is your time. This ship was designed for storms. The best fishing I have ever experienced has happened as a storm was blowing in. God's looking at us. He's calling our number. It doesn't matter how big or small we are. Our God is big. And we're going to take big steps because this gospel of Jesus Christ must go to the ends of the earth, earth now more than ever. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.